Oh, hello there. My name's Puno. I'm the founder of I Love Creatives, and this is Girl Boss Radio. Okay, I love an app. I love a good, functional, nice-looking app. Very, very excited about today's interview. If you're just tuning in, I love talking about periods. <laughs> the episode with Dr. Savini Hawkins was one of my favorites. It's basically a PSA about fibroids and endometriosis. But also we talked a lot about periods. And one of the apps that I brought up in that episode was the Flow app. How many of you use it? Or I mean like any period app. If you haven't used a period app before, then you must have great periods. <laughs> but my periods were getting real funky and I needed to track it to see what was going on. Okay, but let's be real. It wasn't just my periods. It was my hormones. It was my hair. I mean, like clockwork. I don't know why I forget. It happens every month. But one day I'm just telling my husband, you know what? I could really use a chocolate cake. And that's when he kind of tiptoes around and is like, hey, so what's going on with that flow app? <laughs> and then I'm all like, what? No? Okay, so I just can't have a craving for chocolate cake and then check my app. Well, damn it. So yes, the Flow app has been a nice reality check when I want chocolate cake, but also it has revealed so many things about my uterus, about my hormones, about my dry hair, about my energy levels that I never would have thought about if I didn't have it. We're actually going to be talking to the chief people officer at Flow app. You're probably like, oh, what? Chief people officer? Like, is that a president? I don't know. I didn't know. I had no idea. I didn't even know it was a job. But it turns out HR, human resources, has evolved for the 21st century to keep pace with fast-growing startups like Flow. And I gotta say, I'm digging the rebrand of the stuffy old HR. One of the main roles of a CPO is hiring. And we talked a lot about how she looks at that from someone who has to look at hundreds, thousands of resumes. I'm really digging getting into job titles and like, what does it mean? What is your job? What do you do? How do you think about your job? So we're gonna get the full download about life as a CPO and how you even get that job to begin with. One of the biggest things that people complain about nine to five jobs, about corporations, is that it feels like they're not being heard or taken care of. And that is actually the role of the chief people officer. In the United States, it's so frustrating that we don't have great maternity or paternity leave. And Ann Roberts, who's the CPO at Flow, wanted to change that. I mean, it's a period app. It's an app about your uterus. So, you know, you have to kind of walk the talk. As opposed to writing off nine to fives and corporations and companies who employ a ton of people, how can we actually change it from the inside? And that's what Ann Roberts is trying to do. She's worked at a ton of big brands and really wanted to use her executive power and her experience to make the lives of people who work at Flow amazing. She doesn't want Flow to be a job that you resent. She wants it to be something that was a launch pad 
to the next thing that you're gonna do. And I think also she just really loves the app. I mean, <laughs> she actually used the Flow app to help conceive her twins before she started working for the company. So, I mean, I'm starting to try as well. Three months in, and now I know so much about my luteal phase. Okay, so as much as I'd like to keep talking about babies in my period, let's get into the interview. I hope you enjoy getting to know Ann Roberts as much as I did. Let's get into it. Hi, Anne. Thank you so much for joining us at Curl Boss. No problem. Such a joy to be here. I'm really excited because I am a super big fan of flow and I've just gone through a journey with my period. <laughs> so it really wasn't until I got a period app. I mean, it's more than a period app, but for me, that's what it was. And yeah, I'm just so excited to chat with you about flow and about what you're doing at flow. Absolutely. Should we do quick intros? Sure. So I'm Anne. I'm the chief people officer here at Flow with a name like Anne Roberts. Um, it can't really get more English than that. And you've probably picked up that I'm not English. I'm actually <laughs> Estonian. So I'm born and raised in the Nordics. Mm. I left Estonia when I was 15 to pack up my bags and go and study in Bangkok. Um, so I left my little wintry country and my family and moved to Bangkok for a couple of years for high school. And then I came to London when I was 18 to study at London School of Economics, and I've more or less been in London since. I started out as a graduate in Goldman Sachs and then Rolls-Royce. After some years, I realized I'm not having enough impact that I would want from my role. So I moved from a 40,000 people global corporate into a, a four-person tech startup in London. And I've been in the tech industry ever since. It was quite a big and risky leap, but now that I'm here, I never regret that. And I see that's quite a pivot moment for me, for my personal life and for my career. And most recently before Flo, I was the HR director um, at Bumble, the dating app that is empowering women to make the first move in, in building relationships until I had my two little babies early last year. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Two little, so you're twins. Yes, they're, <laughs> the, they're twins. <laughs> and an interesting story is we actually used flow to conceive the babies. And quite like you, it was such a change um, in, in, in lifestyle and my quality of life when I started um, tracking my periods. We planned on conceiving only one baby. Um, obviously, yeah. the buy one, get one free situation was a surprise. <laughs> so I have flow to thank for the two bundles of joy um, that I have in my life now, as, as well as my awesome job. I love that. Well, okay, so you are the chief people officer at Flow Health, and we'll talk about Flow in a minute. But first of all, I want to know what is like a chief people officer, because I've never, I don't know. I, that was the first time I heard of it. <laughs> and you're not the only one. Um, chief people officer effectively is a rebrand of a job title that used to be called HR director, um, head of HR. Um, mm -hmm. So effectively, my job is to look after the talent of the organization, attracting the right talent, growing the right talent, building healthy cultures, and making sure that the business uh, is getting the most out of its people and the people are, are thriving. Um, so I look after all things people, uh, hence the chief people officer. <laughs> Which I guess because human resources just sounds so industrial age. 
<laughs> exactly. And, and, and it was born out of industrial age, um, you know, 1920s America, where humans really were a, a resource on your balance sheet, a cost that you had to manage. And we've just moved on from this era um, where companies recognize, you know, most in the tech industry that we're in and many other industries, you will know more in, in terms of being in creative industry, where it's more the case there, where really people are, I mean, it sounds such a corny slogan, but people really are your greatest asset. Yeah. And I guess I'm always so curious about this, especially nowadays with so many new job titles coming up. As a chief people officer, you have to deal with managing titles and, and names. How did this come about? Did Flow already have the job description as chief people officer, or did you propose that? That was the job title that they had. Um, so being quite progressive and modern is not always the case, but maybe if I would have gone for another role, I would have been like, that's what I want to be. <laughs> like, that's what I do. Um, but they already had it. First order of business. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about titles. <laughs> so I guess, like, what are the qualities that make up a good CPO? Amazing question. So you're effectively the balance between the business uh, and where the business wants to go and what it's striving to achieve and the people. So you're always almost kind of on both sides of the fence and, and aligning those interests. Mm -hmm. So you need to have immense amount of ability to build relationships, build meaningful relationships, listen um, and have empathy and be able to then synthesize um, those insights at aggregate level and, and bring meaningful insights to the business and say, this is what we have to do. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to balance off that commercial understanding. So I need to know effectively what everybody else in the business is doing. I need to be able to talk about, you know, your CAC LTV ratios and unit economics in a, in a mobile app as much as I have to be able to talk about feelings and aspirations and interpersonal conflict and, and all those things. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're a bit of a jack of all trades. Right. And so how did you know that because you've worked at so many established brands, so many big companies, how did you know that Flow was a place that could really utilize all of your experience and skills? So when I left Bumble, when I had the babies, I initially planned on taking a, a couple of years out, learning to be a mom. I thought I'll be a lady of leisure um, for some time. And then at some point started realizing that I'm, I'm not quite cut out to be the lady of leisure that I thought. Um, <laughs> You just drink like one lemonade and then you're like, you know what? I can't do this. <laughs> exactly. This is, I'm not challenged enough. So when I got the call about Flow, I think last September time, my first reaction was, I love this app because it, it has a place in my heart because we, we used it when I started tracking my ovulation and then ever since in terms of managing my female well-being and health. And then obviously the other side of the coin is, what can I bring to the table? Mm. I've never been interested in having roles where you kind of everything is smooth and running and you you're just there as a placeholder and and keep things rolling and flow as a as a business and the impact um, that it can make um, and the growth that we're seeing was just incredibly exciting to me so i could take all the things that i have learned on how to scale small um, highly capable proud organizations um, how to make them international um, how to bring in new talent how to diffuse cultures and new capabilities and how to scale businesses, that is my sweet spot. So as I said, I, I was in a position to be very picky. Um, but when we started conversations with the founders of Flow, I was like, this is a rocket ship I want to be part of. And I think I can bring a lot to this table. 
but equally I have a lot to learn. Yeah. But what does that mean though? So how is the CPO's role different in a fast growing tech company in a rocket ship versus other companies? It's so different. So if you're in a large multinational corporation, your systems and processes are, are set up. The machine is already running. You're there to provide support, maintain policies. You often have to take on all the legacy that has been created sometimes for hundreds of years. For a high-scaling technology company, your challenges are couldn't be more different. You need to build a culture that is sustainable. You need to do it early so that you don't kind of not think about it and then let it get out of hands and then get into all sorts of trouble because you realize you haven't put thought into what are your values, what kind of people do we need and what kind of people are going to thrive here. Yeah, You need to do a lot more talent acquisition because you're growing and every hire that you're making, every new person that you're bringing on board is going to be so much more impactful if there's only 300 of you than if there's 40,000 of you. You need to work a lot more with founders, um, which introduces an interesting new dynamic uh, to the kind of work that you're doing, because founders cast such a long shadow on the organizations that they have built. So you need to take their voice and amplify that voice for the organization. And you have to work a lot more with the executive team on building very capable managers, because if you're in in a startup, it often happens that people organically grow from within the business, from being really, really capable, amazing pair of hands to then being promoted further and further as the company grows really quickly. And that leap from being just yourself and being really good contributor and becoming a manager and eventually becoming a leader, making that transition is challenging for everybody. So this is where your work is a lot more focused on. Man, that is so interesting because I, I feel like even particularly post-COVID, one thing that's really important is making sure that people feel seen and heard, and but also that the people that you're hiring is able to keep up with the work. Have you noticed a difference? Yes, absolutely. So I think it's actually been a, a bit of a, like a Schumpeterian shock, as economists call it, to the entire labor market and the balance on the labor market, because employees were sent off home around the world uh, last March, um, and everybody's had a lot of time to introspect um, and think about what they want to get out of their careers, how they want to curate their life, um, and what kind of work-life balance they're seeking, for example. And companies need to be more responsive than ever to that now, um, because somebody wants to live in a different country, somebody wants more flexible working, somebody wants to spend more time with their family, Mm -hmm. somebody wants to take longer maternity leave, and these are all the things that the companies have to respond to because there's a war for talent. So you're not in a place where it's a buyer's market, as it's called, so that you have pick of million unemployed people and you you just get the person that you want. There is fierce competition for the best talent. And we see tables turning in favor of the employees to be able to set the rules of the game, so to say, mm. in terms of all those things. You know, you can see from the media loads of the big tech companies, FANG as they're called, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, you know, are announcing big return to work plans. Uh, and there's a big collective resistance and request to have a voice and to be heard and to be allowed to, for people to work the way that works for them because we have now proven that it can work. So in mm-hmm. that sense, COVID difficult as it was for everybody um, has created almost a revolution in the way we think about the world of work that was 
you know, evolving 50 years in the making. We've been talking about work-life balance. We've been talking about burnout. We've been talking about meaningful work. And it was making very incremental progress. And then it was just a shock to the system. And we have to rethink the whole world of work. Right. You're like, no, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we're, we're all kind of anticipating greatly and, and talking to our employees and all the industries is trying to figure out what we're going to do, what the world is going to look like when, when we actually get back to normalizing face-to-face interactions. Yeah. Is Flow mostly remote still or? Yes. Yeah. We are mostly remote still, but we're getting ready to open. And, and we also went through an interesting transition where we went fully remote and also opened a bunch of new European offices in the middle of the pandemic because we need to increase our footprint in Europe and be close to the talent markets. Because for us, being co-located is in, in the fabric of how we work. Uh, we have cross-functional, very fast-moving teams. We're very lean for the, for the size of the operation that we're running. And that face-to-face interaction is something that brings collaboration, innovation, new product insights, and people working together. Mm. Additionally, if you hire a lot of new people, it's a whole different thing to start onboarding new employees remotely because, you know, we, we went off in March and we were like, this works wonderfully because you take your existing um, relationships and your existing colleagues and you just move everything virtually onto Zoom. And you're like, this is amazing. And we're now seeing the labor market pick up. People are making those moves, joining new companies and joining a new organization fully remotely when you're, you know, it's your day one, you, you would normally go in, you get your pass, you get your laptop, you, you get your little, you know, walk around the office, all of these artifacts that we so associate with starting a new job, all of that is gone. So you wake up in your bed exactly the same way like you always do, you roll up to your desk and you're like, well, this is awkward because I'm in this business, but I, I physically don't feel like I'm in it. And, and it really hampers companies' ability to create a sense of culture and embed new people into those shared values and how we work and and have that social bond and and fabric and and quality time. Um, Mm. So we're seeing significant demand from our new joiners to say, I want to meet the people that I'm actually working with so that I feel like I'm part of this thing. This episode is brought to you by Flow, the F-L-O Flow. Okay. This is not going to be a surprise, but around 80% of people who menstruate experience decreased productivity due to menstrual-related symptoms. And I'm raising my hand right now. I am in my office by myself raising my hand because, yeah, of course, you know, you're nodding your head. Sometimes it's so severe that you need to really take a day off, you know? I mean, I I had fibroids and endometriosis, still have endometriosis. And every month, that heavy day, I was like, I cannot function. I'm so tired. I had like six Diva Cups and six night pads just soak through throughout the day. Like if I didn't work from home, I know that I would have leaked. So certain that would have happened. So at Flow, they know that menstrual cycles can affect us physically, mentally, and emotionally, and they believe that this should be respected and acknowledged in the workplace. So Flow encourages women and everyone who menstruates to work with, not against, their period by embracing the hormonal changes in our cycle rather than trying to suppress them. 
we can actually take advantage of what they offer us. So right now I'm trying to get pregnant and there's just so much stuff I didn't know about ovulation. I love how Flow educates. You know how some apps will just be like, do you wanna learn more about this? And they're like, yes, I do. And then you click on it and it goes to a long blog post page. Well, Flow doesn't do that. Their education looks like Instagram stories or it feels like you're having a conversation with someone. It's so much easier to digest and I know that it's going to be short and concise and so that's why I actually read it. Flow has just been really, really great. I, woohoo! I hope you and you enjoyed this season for all the DMs and 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 I love it. They thank you so much. I want to step back a little bit because Flow is already just a pretty special company in that and what it does. Can you describe what is Flow and more specifically what is the mission of Flow for those who aren't familiar with it? Of course, Flow is the world leading one-stop health app for women during their entire reproductive life cycle, from your first periods to menopause, from pregnancy to becoming a first-time young mom. Flow offers trusted health information from a secure community of experts and millions of women globally. So we are more than just a period tracker. Very similar to you, I started using Flow because I wanted a period tracker. It's my gateway feature. <laughs> yeah, you have this calendar, you put in your periods and, and you're like, okay, I can go to my GP in the UK or a gynecologist and be able to kind of provide information. Mm. And when I opened that, I realized there is so much more to it in terms of the features, um, cycle predictions, a health assistant that provides you personalized insights on, hey, your ovulation is starting. Now is a good time to get uh, pregnant, for example, or you log your symptoms and, and you realize uh, that's why I've been feeling low. Oh my gosh, the symptoms actually were so revealing for me. I just want to point that out because sometimes you don't know what to look for or you don't know what's not normal. And it's interesting the way that Flow does it because uh, when you said health assistant, I just want to visualize this for everyone. It's basically like a chat. You're having like a conversation with Flow, the app, and it's talking to you and be like, hey girl, you want me to tell you about your menstrual system? You know, let's talk about your discharge. Here's some pictures. Does it look like this? And you're like, oh my God, I didn't even know that it changed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I, I have to confess to you, um, I'm only a recently converted evangelist in, in, in the kind of reproductive cycle education, as I said. Um, I didn't know much about it. Um, when I was in my 20s, I was this you know, high-powered women in a suit that was determined, ambitious. I believe it, periods were something that kind of makes you weak, something you hide away, yeah. um, something you put away in your professional life. Um, so I was about as ignorant as it gets about my own cycle. And when we decided to have a baby, I kind of assumed you decide to have a baby and you just have a lot of intimate time with your partner. And it was my husband who said, Anne, we need to track your cycle and your relation window and I didn't even know what ovulation, what the word ovulation properly meant. So we downloaded Flow and two months later I had two buns in the oven. <laughs> but ever since, ever since I got it, I'm now using it daily to manage my health and optimize my work and life. And I'm, like I said, converted evangelist because educating yourself about your body and your body's natural rhythms is the foundation to managing your energy and striking a better work-life balance. 
you know, as, as modern women, we track everything. Mm -hmm. You track your calories on an app to see how healthy you're eating. You track the miles that you run on Strava. You have probably some sort of financial app to track your budget and financial well-being. And I didn't do anything to track my overall health as a woman. Yeah. And, and I don't know how it took me so long to get there. And, and in that sense, the app provides, like I said, not only tracking, but then it prompts you with, with insights. Mm -hmm. It says where you are in your cycle, how you can optimize your work. You know, when am I feeling creative? So I want time to ideate and come up with new um, ideas. When I'm in a place where I'm very extroverted and communicative, when I should do a town hall. And, and when's the right time in my month to kind of crack down and get your to-do list done. And the app will give you all of that information. It's an amazing productivity hack in your life. Yeah, I think that also in general, when you were talking about how you were ignorant to what a uterus does, <laughs> really. Yeah, I was the same way. I mean, I I just turned thirty seven, and like it wasn't really until I was thirty one, thirty two that I started actually like started paying attention because the pain was just stocking up and it was just piling up to where it became too noticeable. And we actually had an episode earlier this season where we talked to a gynecological surgeon who deals with fibroids and endometriosis. And the main thing was that we as women tend to generalize our issues and really our uterus. We're just like vagina, you know, full stop. But really our uterus, our uh, reproductive system is incredibly complex. And there just hasn't been any education around it. And that's what I feel like flow is kind of doing one extra step is, and it's a big step, but is this approachable, timely, contextual education about your reproductive system. And I think that that is a big differentiator. Is that kind of what the mission is for flow is to educate women? Exactly. So. We're on a mission to empower every woman, every girl, every person who menstruates around the world to take control of their health and well-being. And empowerment, it's a, it's a big word that gets thrown a lot, around a lot nowadays. To me, empowerment is having access to the insights you need and being able to act on them. This is what Flo does for me. And today, what it does for over 180 million um, women who have installed the app, mm -hmm. it's about going to your doctor and you know you have irregular cycles, let's say, or you have some issues um, like you had with your periods. And rather than just saying, yeah, they're kind of irregular, let, let me try and figure out. And the GP says, well, you have irregular cycles. Many people do just deal with it. You can whip out the app and say, these are symptoms I've been log logging in real time. And you can get medical advice that is not you trying to recall or, or generalizing or shying away from sharing that. Um, so that you're really empowered to raise issues. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I see an, an App Store review, iOS App Store review that says, you know, I, I had flow, it kept nagging me for months to go and get checked up. Um, and then I, I finally did. And I was diagnosed with very early stage ovarian cancer. Um, the app literally saved my life. This is the kind of stuff that gets me out of bed in the morning. Mm -hmm. So according to a recent survey, 95% of women mentioned that flow contributes to improving their overall well-being. And I have to say, I'm definitely one of those people. I don't like the idea of waiting 
you know, a year for my pap smear just to talk to my gynecologist. And even then I'm like, uh, okay, I have this other question about my weird period. If you don't have time, it's fine. <laughs> Flow really feels like I have a gynecologist in my pocket and I trust it more because I'm tracking my data in it. And of course, you've got that PDF health report that you can export out and send to your real gynecologist. I've actually sent my flow records to my gynecologist. They also have all these health courses on the app too. I actually took the one about how to get pregnant and man, I learned so much about ovulation. There was videos, but then there was also these like Instagram story-esque kind of slides and it's just really good. You just should try it. You really should just try it. I am a subscriber of Flow and no, this is not them giving me a subscription. I got it before I was even a host of Girlboss. Check out Flow, F-L-O, in the App Store and start tracking that period. What's your approach to developing company culture? We talked a little bit about company culture, but how do you take company culture and align it with this mission of empowerment? So for us, the two have to be 100% aligned. They have to go hand in hand. Mm. For businesses, if your consumer brand is what you do, your employer brand is who you are. And we're in an incredibly transparent, open and accountable world nowadays. And I like to see companies being held accountable from inside out for building healthy, strong, progressive cultures you know, the company, the firm, the organization, however you want to call it. It's not some abstract, esoteric, ethereal being. It's just a collection of people. So when we talk about building a culture, the question is, how does the company define what it wants to be when it grows up, what it aspires to? And because we're on a mission to empower every woman and girl, we also have to carry that to everything that we do in the workplace. We're very proud to be in the tech industry and to be 50-50 men and women in terms of the workforce, for example, which is very uncommon because uh, tech industry is, you know, infamous um, for its toxic masculinity and, and for not advancing women enough. We recently announced new global set of parental policies that give women full six months and men full one month off paid to bond with their new baby. And, and that was a, a big thing for us because it's just the right thing to do. I'll give you an interesting fact. In most US states and most European countries, it's illegal to sell a puppy if they're less than eight weeks old because you, you take the puppy away from their mother. Whereas for new moms to return to work, they're expected to be back within two weeks before their pay is cut off or in the UK that's six weeks. Now let, let that sink in, um, in terms of how behind the industry is um, in walking the walk um, in terms of female empowerment and really putting the money where the mouth is in terms of creating, creating cultures that are progressive um, and that are leveling the playing field for women. Mm. Yeah, and, and even for yourself, even though you, know, you wanted to go back to work, even the structure of that, I have a friend who's a teacher and she has to time having a baby so that she can take care of the baby during the summer. During holidays, yeah. Yeah. And it's that other of coming back to work too that is also a tricky situation. So a more general question I have for you is how has Flow attracted and retained really great employees? 
Well, having having progressive policies is one part of the answer. Yeah. So, you know, recent study by, um, I think it was Robert Waters, found that whilst 74% of professionals intend to return to the same employer following parental leave career break, mm-hmm. only 24% of women actually do. So that's one in every four women comes back to the job. That means the companies are hemorrhaging their, their talent because they can't retain them. You know, you get time off, you think about, am I really engaged? Right. Do I want to do something else? So as a company who really genuinely looks after its people and makes an effort to make sure that they have the time off and doesn't uh, put them in front of a difficult choice where it's, is it my family or my job? Mm-hmm. This is what matters for, for the modern talent. Mm. 87% of women say um, that good work-life balances and, and parental policies is the key priority for them when choosing where to work. Mm-hmm. And in the tech industry, where there is, as I said, very fierce war for that talent, we want to be leading the way. Yeah. It's just interesting because you've worked at all sorts of different companies. Do you think that being able to provide benefits like that is something that is like a big shift in finances or is a big problem to solve? Or like any company can actually do this. It's just not a priority. I, I think it's the latter. I think vast majority of companies who aren't operating on an incredibly narrow margin are able to do that. Yeah. Um, they just haven't taken the leap yet. Right. A- especially in modern companies where your revenue per employee is, is, is significant, where you're not really living from one day to the next. You also have to bear in mind that being able to, for example, give a new dad a full month off, because it's to me, it's so critical. And I think it's the starting point where we have this expectation around stereotypes that the man goes back to work and the mom becomes a stay-at-home mom because you you don't allow new dads to have that very early bonding with, with the baby um, and they lose that confidence to be a primary parent mm-hmm. or, for example, take six months off themselves. Mm. There are good companies that are making the moves now, um, which is wonderful to see, but nowhere near uh, as much as there has to be in terms mm-hmm. of policies. Mm-hmm. You spoke about Bumble. So you previously did HR for Bumble. What were some of the bigger lessons you learned in that role? Because in a way, it has a lot of the same mission and values, but um, is a totally different actual mission. (laughs) Yeah, I think the companies are quite similar in terms of industry. Um, So Mm -hmm. they're consumer technology apps. They have similar ways of growing their businesses and similar ways of providing user value, very similar workforce profiles in terms of being technology, engineering, and product driven. And both of them are building brands that meaningfully resonate with the mission that they're on. Mm-hmm. So there's there's lots of similarities that I was able to, to transfer over. Um, and when I was at Bumble, we went through similar kind of transformation of, of becoming, having larger global footprint, bringing to workforce people from very different cultures and, and defining who we are, what we stand for, how to build uh, world leading apps, how to stay constantly ahead of the competition, how to um, constantly iterate so that you keep providing user value and really leaving uh, your end user with a sense of this is valuable to me so that as a business the, the dynamic works in that you have people that are coming back, people that are using it every day, MAU as we measure it, monthly active users, daily active users. How are they consuming the content? What are they engaging with? What do we serve more of? What do we serve less of? Mm. 
in that sense, it's it's similar, Sim- similar challenges, I would say, a little bit earlier on Yeah. for flow. So, okay, I want to step back also into how you got into HR. Like, how did, how did Anne get into this world? How did you know that this was the place that you're going to thrive? So the story was, I was... 17 at a time. I was sitting in the boarding house in, in Bangkok thinking, what do, what do I want to do with my life? Uh-huh. Probably an experience everybody at some point has had. Um, and I was leaving always through... always in Bangkok. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Bangkok too. I like quit my job and I was like, I need to go somewhere. And like, I'm going to go to Thailand. <laughs> yeah. I guess my Thailand experience is a little bit um, different to the normal Thailand experience because... I was, um, I went to British National School uh, and it was a boarding house. So I didn't have all the teenage years Bangkok fun, but rather being in, in a uh, world leading institution, getting a world-class education, which meant spending a lot of time in, in library. And there I was leafing through the university brochures, thinking what I want to do. So I just leaf through different courses that universities offer. And I stumbled on human resource management degree at LSE. And I was like, interesting, what is that? And I read about the course content and it said, you have to basically bring together the sciences of social psychology, human behavior, um, organizational behavior, business understanding, the commercial news on how to scale companies, motivation theories, um, all of the things that I was really lapping up and really interested in when I was a teenager. And I thought, Mm. aha, that's the degree for me. And I'm quite rare in the industry, I would say, because HR people often kind of fall into the profession from other things that they've, they've been doing, um, whereas quite unusually um, at a very tender age of 17, I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, yeah. That's the value I want to add to companies. And I just set myself on a path and here I am. Is it because you're very interested in like people behavior and psychology or how did you know that that was something you'd be interested in? Yeah, exactly. Behavior of people. I'm quite a keen student of cultures, of people, of psychology, of, of what makes people tick, um, what, what motivates people. Mm. How do we come together um, as, a, as a collective and create work that is bigger than the sum of our parts? Mm-hmm. And how easy it is to get it wrong, in a sense. And I'm, I've always been very keen on joining companies where I can be part of something bigger than myself. Yeah. My kind of yardstick for success, I guess, is how many people's lives I've impacted through the companies I've been part of and and what they have built. How many people have I helped build meaningful careers by bringing them into exceptional teams? How many people I have let walk out of my company because they got an opportunity somewhere else that I can't match at the moment and, and that's better for them now. And that's okay as well. So really realizing we often see companies, there's this imbalance of there's this big evil companies and us as as little employees and the playing field is is leveling um, and companies are really just collection of people Mm. that are trying to get the best out of that collective brain. So that that shit is fascinating for me. (laughs) I I can feel it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask you this question. What motivates people? I think... People have very different life aspirations, but what motivates people is a sense of self-fulfillment, that you're doing something meaningful. Yeah. I guess everyone is looking for fulfillment in life, whether 
I mean, it's kind of been positioned in your North Star, your passion, you know, having complete work-life balance. How do you help someone find that for themselves? Or do they come to Flow or wherever company that you're at somewhat already knowing that and you just making sure that there's an alignment of it? There are ways to look for alignment on that. And I think it takes a lot of very open conversations to to find out if there's that match Mm -hmm. between an organization and the person that wants um, the role. Um, And the key drivers that I'm looking for are, I think, two of them. Number one is self-awareness. Do you know what has served you well but is no longer an advantage? How much have you thought about what fuels you, like you say, what drives you, what motivates you, and if you've really put hard and deep thought into is this the right place for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite questions at interviews is, you know, what are your weaknesses? And I know you're probably going to be rolling your eyes and say, and this is, you know, such a 90s question around competencies. But, but to me, asking people about their weaknesses is, I don't care about what your actual weaknesses are. There's no weakness that has ever made me not hire somebody because of what they've said. But it gives me a very good insight into how self-aware you are Mm. um, and how much you're able to learn from your mistakes. We all make mistakes. We have all royally messed up one time or another. Acknowledging that and learning from it and having the vulnerability and and self-awareness to learn is the only thing that matters. Mm. Everything else, and I mean everything else, can be taught um, Mm. if you have that. And the second thing for me is potential. Rather than ticking the boxes to say, yeah, you've done all those things before, so you're going to be uh, just as effective here, mm-hmm. is to look at the potential of people, their motivations, how curious they are, um, how much insight they want, how determined they are. Do you see a difference between small business CPOs or HR and large companies? Because I'm a small business and I feel like because of that, there's a couple of complexities here. One is don't necessarily have the funds to to hire like the best of the best. Two, because of that, tend to hire people that are like trying to just try it out. They're trying to figure out what their stuff is. And so there's a lot of training that's involved and there's a lot of figuring out if like what is it that you really are going to thrive at which I don't like, it's like, how long do you do that? And then the third part is because, and I think this is true for a lot of small business founders, they've left something that, you know, was pretty bad or just had a very negative experience and are kind of in a protective mode and you become somewhat of a caretaker. And then you get kind of taken advantage of sometimes because you don't know. But I'm just so curious what your thoughts are or any advice to small business founders who have to act as their own HR. Yeah, to me, it it applies to an extent what you said about you can't afford the best, the best and the brightest on on the global market because it is competitive. Um, But the right people will join you. I have seen over and over, people taking significant salary cuts to join a place they want to be a part of. Mm. I think if you're still growing in your career, uh, when you're in your 20s, when you're 30s, 
you shouldn't optimize for the salary. You have to optimize for the experience that you're going to get and where it's going to take you. So the right people surface themselves and you will be able to make a good deal without having to match the salary they would get elsewhere. Mm. And, and you know the saying, um, if you love what you do, you don't have to work a single day of your life um, or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. I hate that saying. That's complete <laughs> bullshit. Bullshit. That's, that's bullshit. Um, yeah. Solving complex problems is hard. Human relationships are complicated. Yeah. The boundary pushing industries are competitive. But if you are part of something bigger that you believe in, it just makes that a little bit easier when the going gets tough um, mm-hmm. and, and you have to have that resilience almost. You know what? Let's talk about imposter syndrome because it's one of my favorite pet peeves. Like you said, people want self-fulfillment. They want great careers. They want good titles. They want the right salary. They're looking for the perfect career move. And sometimes good enough is good enough. And you have to figure it out as you go. You have to take some chances. You Sometimes you have to make compromises and you have to put in the damn work yeah. um, to, to grow. And then you get to a point where you can lift your head and say, where has this gotten me? Where can I go from here? You can't set yourself expectations where you just are optimizing for that one perfect move because your expectations are also so high that you then really internalize and, and feel bad if it isn't, it isn't perfect and it never is perfect. Mm-hmm. Sometimes finding out what you don't like doing and a place you don't want to be part of is even more valuable because mm-hmm. you have learned from that and you know what you what does fuel you. Yeah. And in terms of um, you know imposter syndrome, there's lots of talk about it on social media at the moment. I feel like it's the new trendiest Gen Z ailment to be self-diagnosed with. Like, oh, it's just a, I have an imposter syndrome. And I think imposter syndrome is an important signal. It's a warning from your brain to you of the consequences if you're not prepared and you're not prepared, you don't have the knowledge, you give up poor advice carelessly, you're bluffing. And I think you don't need to simply overcome these signals with some self-affirmations and and mantras that you have on your your mindfulness app that say, I am enough. That would make you an egomaniac, uh, (laughs) technically speaking. (laughs) Mentally healthy people doubt themselves and are insecure all the time. Uh, This has been the case before we found a nifty label for it called imposter syndrome. It's normal and healthy fear. So you have to listen to that voice of the imposter and Mm -hmm. iterate until you know that you're adding value rather than kind of say that you have this uh, insecurity and if you're just ballsy and confident enough that it's a confidence problem and, and, and then it'll go away. Well, and I totally agree with that because my issue with generalizing anything, specifically imposter syndrome, is that you never get to the root of the problem. I mean, I I did this. Like when I left Activision, I used to work at this, a video game company and I did these generalizations of, I hate corporations, I hate nine to five, I hate blah, blah, blah. And after, you know, having to freelance, start my own business, those just don't help you. They don't help you make future decisions. You have to actually get into the nuances and the like real specifics about what is it about the nine to five? What is it about that corporation? And I landed on really, really specific things and really specific scenarios that kind of led to each other and bubbled to each other. So it wasn't even just this one person or this one thing, it was this plus a timeline of events. And once I was able to see those things 
you have so much more to play with. Like you have so much more information that you can experiment with. And to your point, looking at all of these deal breakers and looking at all of these things that you didn't like gives you so many ideas and ways to provide solutions. So when you say that you have imposter syndrome, you're really discounting your experience and you're not allowing yourself to get out of it because you're just overgeneralizing it. Exactly, exactly. Because the whole idea of identifying it is that you can overcome it. Yeah. Um, you know, if you if you feel insecure, if you feel like you're in a new role and it's super challenging, learn. You you have to put in the work. Mm-hmm. You know, Google things, YouTube things. There is no excuse for remaining ignorant or, or not doing that piece of thinking um, mm-hmm. about your your yourself and how do you want to set your life up in 21st century because there is so much information and content and help and support available mm-hmm. about everything. Yeah, very, I, I'm glad we talked about that because that that definitely was <laughs> has been on my mind because I mean, I, I teach students uh, how to do website design and that is like number one, intro after intro. I have imposter syndrome, I have imposter syndrome. I'm like, of course you do. You're trying to take a course. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a reason for it. So now you take the course and then work on it. But I think to like go further than that, it's just like, that's fine. If you say you have imposter syndrome, I don't care, whatever. But I'm going to ask you why. And we're going to dig into it, you know, because I can't just land there. That's not going to help anybody. <laughs> exactly. And and some, like I said, some level of that fear, of that slight discomfort yeah. is what fuels us because that's yeah. what is pushing you out of your comfort zone. Nobody likes being outside of their comfort zone. It is uncomfortable by definition. Yeah. Um, and people's comfort zones are, are, are very different. But if you don't push yourself further and further, um, mm-hmm. then you're not growing, you're, you're stagnating. In many industries, specifically the tech industry, women are often underrepresented in part due to the motherhood penalty. And Flow is an exception in the global tech scene. They have a six months paid maternity leave policy and over 50% female employees across their organization, as well as on their executive leadership team. Research shows that motherhood triggers false assumptions that mothers are more focused on their children than on their job and are therefore less competent committed and productive at work than fathers or employees without children. Ugh. That was probably very triggering for some people. I felt very uncomfortable just reading that. Eek. Basically, mothers are just getting paid less or they're being passed over in hiring and promotion decisions. Flow recently announced that they offer six months of fully paid maternity leave and one month of fully paid paternity leave as part of its new global parental leave policies. The thing is, is that you have to give moms sustainable parental policies that support them. And also their return to work is just simply the right thing to do. And that's what Flow believes. They are proud to pioneer this effort across the industry. And if you're like, yes, I want to work at Flow, well, check out their careers page on their website. And 
start tracking your period or ovulation. I guess I'm trying to figure out what can someone do if they wanted to do what you do? Because I feel like there's so much psychology in all of this, but how do you get that experience to do that? It only comes with experience, um, like you say. <laughs> there is no straight career path as such. Mine, mine is unusual. Even degrees in HR are relatively niche and, and unusual still. Um, mm -hmm. You can get into the field um, of people management and culture building or talent acquisition from any walk of life because it permeates everything um, from human-centered design, for example, service design. When you build a company, you effectively build an experience for people. So you have to think of it as if it's a product and it takes in operational technology around building efficiencies and scalability. It takes from psychology, it takes from management practices. What I love to hire for, from, for my own teams, is precisely people that come from different walks of life that will bring a complete new perspective on how you build an organization and how you build your people practices. Because yeah. that's really where the real diffusion and new boundary pushing innovations for, for companies are coming from in the people space. Mm. Um, so there's no, you know, I'm not gonna tell you to how to get a degree um, or, or have a specific career path. Um, we're seeing more and more people who just realize that stuff is fascinating to me or they work with somebody that's been really inspiring and, and lifted them up and say, these are kind of things that I want to do. Mm. Is there any resources or books or people that you're really into or that helped you in this career path? The companies that I admire for the kind of cultures they have built have been created, funny enough, without any HR presence. And that kind of circles us back to that um, quite outdated notion that HR is this lady in the corner who will hire and fire you um, at the end of the day. <laughs> but there are so many modern organizations where as small business owners like yourself, who just sit down and say, what is the company that I want to build? What kind of values do I want uh, my people to have? What kind of principles do we work to? And they now in modern world make far more successful organizations and cultures than the kind of old school HR people that come with their baggage of these are the frameworks, this is your nine box performance grid, these are the rules of employment, these are the policies. All of that is so outdated, so old school. Too many companies scar on the first cut. The second something goes wrong, the natural tendency is to create a policy, um, you know, mitigate the loss. Steve is wearing hot pants in the office. Outrageous. We need a dress code. Mm. No, you don't. You don't need a dress code. Just go and tell Steve not to wear hot pants. Lots <laughs> Poor <of> Steve. Lo <laughs> Poor Steve and his hot pants. You know, policies are an organizational scar tissue. They're mm. just codified overreactions to situations that are unlikely to happen again. They're collective punishments for the misdeeds of one to the disadvantage of the many. This is how bureaucracies are born and you create companies where people feel stifled and, and they feel like they don't have a human voice in, in the collective anymore. Mm -hmm. And no one sets out to create a bureaucracy. They just sneak up on you slowly, mm -hmm. one aberration at a time. Um, and the rules. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so um, there are a wealth of, of cool books written by people that have built great organizations off the top of my head. 
Ray Dalio's principles. Um, he's the founder of Bridgewater, one of the most successful funds in the world. He's a business person that built an organization and has spent 20 years thinking, how do I make a good company? Mm. A book called Rework, um, that is precisely by a, a bunch of business people that up until I think there were 100 people big, didn't have any HR and they were like, how do you want to set this up? Mm-hmm. There's a ton of um, really cool cool material available for, for free to consume. Also interesting kind of biographies from, from founders um, where I've gotten a lot of insights, uh, like Phil Knight's Shoe Dog, the founder of Nike. Yeah. And Shoe Dog is a wonderful book because it doesn't over-glorify um, or, or try and put a marketing spin on how he built organization. Um, it's all of the words and all of the challenges and, and everything that went into it and how it transformed him as a person. Okay, I love that. I'm all like, I need to reread that one too. It's interesting because I remember sometimes I'll read these books before I decided to become a founder. And I just read them, but then I reread um, like Lean Startup or something. And then I was like, oh my God, I, this resonates so hard. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So kind of, and kind of circling back to when you said, you know, how do you get the experience? You don't get there by just academic consumption of, of content. Yeah. Things really start resonating once you start working. Mm-hmm. For example, you can read about how to be a good manager. You know, you can pick up one of dozen of amazing books about being a good manager. Um, I remember when I first started managing a team and I was like, first, I'm highly capable. Second, I'm in HR, so I really should know that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I thought I knew all of the rules or the frameworks. I thought I had it set out. And when you actually start doing it, you realize it's bloody hard to to manage people and to build trust and respect and lift people up along the way. And it takes it takes a lot of the actual doing to get there, but you have to start doing. Right. I think it's because of that self-awareness that you also have to pick up on that are just so nuanced. It's almost like veiled in all these different personalities that there's no way you could put that in a book. You know, you can't like, Myers-Briggs your way out of anything. No, no, you really can't. You can't Myers-Briggs your, your way out of it. And if, yeah, if anything, these psychometric profiles, that profiling is, I think is a dangerous tool um, mm. because if you don't have enough self-awareness, you kind of get your, I don't know, I'm ENTJ and you have a tendency to then box people because it's a very easy mental heuristic. Um, it's a shortcut to, to understanding people, but a little bit of insight can sometimes be more dangerous because you start stereotyping or you start explaining way like, oh, it's just because the way they're like. Um, I, I had a situation once where somebody was rude to me and I called them out on it and they said, you know, well, that's my Myers-Briggs profile. So that's just, I'm just a rude person. And that's not good enough. <laughs> That's not an excuse. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and similarly, um, if you haven't read yet, one of super impactful books um, for the last couple of years um, that I picked up because I'm working with a lot of multinational companies, companies that are bringing in people from all sorts of different backgrounds is The Culture Map, mm. which is about how cultural differences impact how people show up at work. And we're, we're now using it inside flow because um, we have increasing the international workforce. And it's exactly one of those books that you can read it end to end if you don't have a lot of international exposure and you kind of, it just feels academic and, and, and abstract. Mm-hmm. And then when you, I don't know, have uh, been working with a German for a while and then you pick up that book, you're like, 
oh my god this explains <laughs> this explains so much and it's it goes far beyond the stereotypes that have been around for 50 years you know like uh, i don't know japanese people are respectful and american people are extroverted and friendly um it really digs deep into what is driving how how the culture has shaped the person and why they show up the way they do mm. um and that's that's incredibly powerful that's so cool i definitely want to get that one <laughs> <laughs> so you are building well flow is building tech with purpose and i guess how do you execute on those values like how do you make discussions around company purpose like that ends up becoming value for users in a way earlier in my career i've always been incredibly cynical about values um mm -hmm. inside a company because i always felt like they were just empty sounding generic slogans chiseled in some corporate atrium you know collaboration teamwork that really don't mean anything being genuinely values driven as a business means that you don't have to have them written out you don't have to um you know put it on your employee handbook exactly in your employee <laughs> handbook you can have very strong values um and sense of how you operate without them being uh, written down you know culture mm -hmm. is is just a codified set of, of how we all work together and it manifests i've seen so many companies that have a set of values that are in vast difference to the reality um, mm -hmm. on, on how the organization actually runs in flow for us we make sure that we hiring people who are aligned with our values in terms of how we operate so for example we are um, incredibly neutral in our decision making we don't really take gung-ho decisions just on a gut feel um, we like looking at data we're very collaborative so we make sure everybody's voice is heard mm. um, if we have different people different personalities especially now on on virtual calls not everybody's voice is heard for example we then say okay we need to um, introduce some tools that are for example written down communication because some people are more comfortable taking their time thinking and then contributing rather than the loudest person on the on the call wins with their opinion right so you really have an open conversation about how do those values and that way of working sits with people mm -hmm. we're also very fast paced and we're still growing so loads of people come in and they say like i love chaos i thrive in chaos no you don't nobody thrives in chaos chaos is really crappy place to be um mm -hmm. it means that you have to um set up your foundations and and find better ways of working some people say that they like the fast pace um, of the tech industry but really you know they come in and they want a very clear job description they want their schedule very clearly managed expectations very well set tasks um, very clearly given to them and you know we we don't put people in a box for example you you come we see where you thrive and where you most want to develop your your career in, and we empower you to do that that sounds great um as as you know my pitch as an employer but it has a downside that this doesn't work for everybody mm -hmm. um and and you you should really put those skeletons on the table and say this is what it's like to work here these are the great mm -hmm. things and by the way these are things people are finding challenging mm -hmm. um so that you have a very authentic and open conversation yeah about those things up front because nobody wants to make a bad match yeah yeah um you seem to kind of have a critical eye on best practices of hr which i think is great but is there anything that 
has worked or continues to work? Like, for example, do you guys have an employee handbook or is it more like we have these things, we just don't lean on them? We are building these things now. Mm. And a direction that I really clearly want to set is that we're, we're building them as we go. Um, so, you know, decisions are, are, are temporary. Um, we don't want to bake in permanence and we really want to create a place where everything that we create in terms of how we work, what our expectations are, you know, there's a lot more of us now. We need some level of formal performance management. How do we do those things? And they are crowdsourced. So we have almost everything on Google Docs that everybody has access to, everybody can comment on. And people know that these are living, breathing documents that isn't kind of like HR comes and says, this is the printed out policy, please sign here that you comply with everything mm-hmm. that is shrouded in legalese and, and technical things that you can and can't do. Same as all of the other products that you would expect. Your employment is almost like a product that we're selling. It needs to be user-friendly. It needs to be easy to understand. There's many ways to make the modern workplace and, and your employment experience a lot more modern um, mm-hmm. that, that isn't actually that that challenging. Like lots of it is common sense. It's not rocket science. <laughs> right. Um, but, you, but you have to give people the voice and, and genuinely include them because you just come up with better stuff. Yeah. So you have a lot of conversations. <laughs> yes, a lot. You spoke earlier about your definition of success. This is like one thing we're trying to do here at Girlboss is redefine success or talk about how other people have redefined success. So how have you redefined success and how has this changed from either that 17-year-old Anne or uh, maybe even HR Bumble Anne? (laughs) Yeah, I think I've come to a place where I'm very comfortable being able to articulate what fuels me, what is my yardstick for success and and what really makes me thrive. So I used to think it was the right uh, company name, the right uh, salary check. Um, And Mm. I think I was seeking validation. The working persona is so big part of our self-identity and it is is largely to what defines you. Um, And I realized that I was seeking for, for the wrong things because I want to be part of places that I can genuinely hand on heart be be proud to be part of and build something great. And how did you know that, for example, that Flow was the place that was this versus all the other places that you had worked? I think taking a new job or making a career move is quite similar to dating. You really want to do a lot of dating before you decide to marry somebody. Mm-hmm. And, and I wish everybody would put a lot of due diligence, um, as it's called in legal world, into having those very authentic, very open, very vulnerable conversations from the company and, and from the person that is interested to say, mm-hmm. what, are, what are you seeking? Mm-hmm. I, it's so interesting because the way that the job interview, the job onboarding process works Sometimes it's a little hard to figure all of that out in just a few conversations. Yeah, few conversations are enough if you ask the right questions. Oh, um, in 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 my opinion. So, I guess candidates always have a sense that there's a imbalance of power, almost that you need to show up and impress. But it really is a two way conversation. If you've gotten to a conversation with somebody out of all the other people that applied, that means we have a, a reasonably good understanding that we're interested in you. Mm-hmm. And you have more 
power in the conversation than you think you do. And you being really quizzical and asking the things that matter to you give me also a stronger confidence that you know what you're looking for and you want to make sure that it's a good match, that you don't just kind of say, I'll take the first thing that is out there. Great that I got through it. And then in six months time, you feel like it's not quite for you. Were the questions that you were asking flow when you first were applying, were they very specific to flow or were they some just general questions? Yeah, I think you, you can generalize them. So you do look up a company, you see what they're doing. You first think, are you passionate about what they're doing? Some people can be passionate about B2B infrastructure sales. I'm not. Um, I like the consumer tech because I love wearing my flow hoodie on the street and, and being stopped. You know, somebody stops me and says, oh my God, um, you know, where do you, where do you get the, the jumper? I love this app. <laughs> and that's what, what drives me. So I knew I wanted to be um, part of something that I know and, and the mission that resonates with me, but that's not the, the case for everybody. Mm -hmm. So you look up about the company, there's a wealth of resources. You go on Glassdoor, you see their careers page, you see the kind of people uh, that are in the business. Um, I have always built the steps that I have taken in my career, looking at who are the uh, closest five people around you in your workplace, um, because your potential to grow and scale is defined by how much you're inspired by those people. Mm. You don't have to go for a well-known brand name. You can join a small place if you're really, you know, if the people that you talk to knock your socks off and you think, wow, I want to be part of this place. Mm -hmm. When I joined Bumble, we were still much smaller, much less well-known. And the people that I spoke to blew my socks off. And I said, that's the kind of place that I see myself learning. You should ask about company culture. You should ask about what are the things that are most challenging at the moment so that you really get kind of under the hood um, of the organization. Mm -hmm. And these questions also give you a really good indication how transparent and honest the company is. Um, mm -hmm. Are they going to give you kind of really banal, generic regurgitations on, on how everything is great? Or do they have enough self-awareness as an organization to say, these are things that are challenging, these are things that we're working on, mm -hmm. etc. Cool. Oh man, and this has been super, super interesting. And thank you so much for just laying it all out there and being just as transparent about how you think too. <laughs> Pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much, Puro. Thanks again to Anne and make sure you download the Flow app for support at every stage of your reproductive journey. I'm telling you, if your period feels off, if your body just feels weird and you just don't know what's going on, just start tracking it. Even if you don't use this app, I like this app personally, but just track it because that information is so good for your gynecologist to know. And I promise when I did it, that's when I was like, whoa, this is crazier than I thought it was. So the best way you can support Girl Boss Radio is by smashing that good old subscribe button. Smash it. Just smash it. And our love language is words of affirmation. So please leave us a review with lots of compliments. I promise I just I won't be angry about that. 
I know some of you guys are trying to get into that creative bag. So check us out at isleofcreatives.com. And for that good old icing on top of the cake, we got 10% off using the code GIRLBOSS. Get your digital skills stacking. Girlboss Radio is a production of I Love Creative Studio, original music composed by Nija, and this episode was produced by Juliana Clark, Imani Leonard, Christopher Olin, and Courtney Kosak. Engineering was done by Michael Castaneda. Our editorial director is Clemence, and special thanks to Nora Agency and Nicole. Until next week, Puno out! <laughs>